You are listening to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have not, we are not afraid. Our stories have phrase, they are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1.17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. You are listening to episode 120 with the sweet and joyful Anita Wyatt. Anita is going to share about adopting a child from Ukraine and all of the things that went along with that. And not just any child, but a child with special needs. And the story to get him and the things that happen after are just nothing can explain it but God. Absolutely. Something that I am so blessed by after just thinking about Anita, her story, her family, how she and her husband prayed through, how do we do this? She said, we just look for the next step. What was God asking us to do next? And that next step obedience just resonated with me. That is what I need to be saying to my heart today. You know, what is the Lord telling me? What's my next step? The yes that I need to give for right now. And you're just going to, listeners, you're going to love this story. I am so thankful that Anita said yes to being on Afraid Not. Everyone, listen in. Hi, Anita. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We are very thankful you said yes. We are so glad that you are here with us. And we would like to start out this episode with just an introduction. Who's Anita? Tell us a little bit about you and your family and just a snapshot of your life in the the shorter version of intro. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Well, again, it's an honor to be here. I really am excited to get to know you two as well. So um, my name is Anita Wyatt. My husband is Wayne, and we have been married. It'll be 25 years in December. Oh, so that's a big one. It Exciting. is. It is. We have six, not so much kids anymore, um, from 22 down to 13. So mm-hmm. three young adults and three teenagers. Four of them still at home for now. Um, two that are actually studying overseas as we speak. Really? So which which place abroad? Right uh, Vienna, Austria is where our oldest is, and uh, Belfast, Ireland. Wow. Oh, wow. That is so is. fascinating. So. The Owasso Choir got to go to Belfast, Ireland in March, and I was on that trip, and I was able to see that beautiful city and walk around and be there. I am so uh, inspired that you have a child getting to study there abroad. It's amazing. Yes, I Fantastic. would love to be there. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's what she said. She said yes. it's really pretty. So, yeah. yeah. So it's always busy in our house. And um, yeah, Wayne and I met in graduate school in Oklahoma City and uh, just kind of thought it um, would be fun to have a lot of kids. Uh, we like to play. <laughs> and we're like, what better way to have some built-in playmates? Mm-hmm. We were pretty young and a little bit 
naive, I guess you could say. Well, you did but, have a lot of kids. Yeah. I mean, with you two, that's a family of eight. So you've got teams of four. You can do all kinds of sports. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's a great opportunity to try to work as a team, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, so we've, you know, it's kind of interesting as they get older and leave the house and things get a little quieter, but it's, it's great. So anyway, um, yeah, so kind of our story is, is we met in graduate school and got married just a couple years later. Oh, year and a half later, actually, after we met and um, had our first um, 18 months after that. And then just had a kiddo about every year and a half, two years until we had five kids. And um, we were uh, just, life was just cruising along there. And um, we uh, had moved to Bixie and our youngest was two and our oldest was 10. I guess our youngest was one. And uh, some of the friends that we met just shortly after uh, we moved there, they lived in our neighborhood and we ended up going to church with them and they had four adopted daughters Really, and they were all open adoptions. And um, <laughs> so what does that mean for our listeners? What is an open adoption opposed to a closed one? Okay. So for my understanding, an open adoption is where the, uh, they have a kind of a work, a relationship with the birth mother. Mm -hmm. Um, she knows who they are. They are in contact with her. She oftentimes spend time, spends time with the child or children. And, um, it's really, a it's just kind of a walk alongside her to minister mm -hmm. to her and, um, just believe that it's best for the child and oh, yeah. it's best for everyone involved. Um, and, uh, I, I didn't know that concept at the time. So I met this family and it was summertime and, um, within a few weeks they had a birth mom staying at their house for a little while <laughs> and, uh, they would have one of their daughters, her older brother, who was her biological brother would come over and spend a couple of weeks with them here and there to give, uh, uh, his, his mom a break. who was the birth mom of their daughter. And, um, kind of in time, she would say, can he come play with your son? Cause he's tired of being around all these girls. So he would come down the street and play with our son. And they were four years old at the time. And, um, and I just thought, this is really interesting. Like, it's really cool as I see this play out. And I remember telling her just, if I heard about this, I would think it was, you know, like a daytime talk show, like a Jerry Springer <laughs> show or something. <laughs> And, but it wasn't it was really just a cool um a cool thing and well it sounds like that family and getting to know them and their kids led you to the story you're yes, going to share yes, with yes. us today. so they're in our we small are group. excited to hear it yeah, yeah. so they're in our small group and um and kind of through just some events with their family and seeing how they connected with birth families and just hearing stories about needs that were going on um through them we just kind of realized there was kind of some events that happened there where we were able to kind of step in and love on the birth siblings of their kids. And, um, we were just kind of laying there one night and we we're like, we could do this. Like we could take another kid. We have five, but I'm blessed to get to be at home and, um, things are pretty stable. What's one more, <laughs> you know, or two more, whatever. And so we didn't really know how Famous that would play words. out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I knew nothing about the, uh, about the adoption process, how it could be complicated, how it could be just long and difficult, nothing. I was just very, again, very naive. <laughs> and, um, and we're like, okay, yeah, we could we could do that. We'll just kind of see. We're not going to seek it out, but we'll just kind of see what happens. 
And, um, and it was like just a few weeks later where we were sitting again with this, these same people that we did life with our small group and, um, in kind of a larger setting through our church and, um, another guy in our small group, he was asked to go to Ukraine and work with some kids in orphanages over there. It was with a group out of Northwest Arkansas, nobody we know, or even live close to, but um, he uh, sells wheelchairs and equipment and they were needing a specialist to come along. It was a humanitarian trip really to um, set up uh, equipment for kids in orphanages there. And this team had been going for, I believe they'd been going for a few years, a couple of times a year. And they had a couple of orphanages in Eastern Ukraine that they had working relationships with. And he said, you know, just pray for me. I don't know for sure if I'm going to go. It's actually not a great time for me to be gone. <clears throat> And um, he said, but man, they work with these kids and some of them have gotten adopted and they work to get, get them adopted. And in, in my mind, I, I remember, I thought, well, that's a little far-fetched. <laughs> like who does that, you know? <laughs> and, um, and as I'm thinking that another guy in the room who wasn't even in our, our small group at the time, he was in a different small group. He said, oh, one of my buddies and his wife from Northwest Arkansas are in the process of adopting one of those kids right now. And they're getting ready to go over there. She's five years old and she's in a, she's confined to a bed. She can't sit up. She can't beat herself. And so I was like, had this dialogue going wow. inside of me. Oh, Okay, so somebody actually does do this, you know, all kind of at the same time. And kind of, I think part of the reason it really connected with me is because um, rewind back when our oldest was an infant and she had some complications at birth, not not at birth, but um, just shortly after she was born, she had some, I didn't know there's anything wrong. Um, my sister, who is an OT, she kind of mentioned, you know, you might ought to have her evaluated for some early intervention. And I just thought, oh, you're just my sister. <laughs> like, eh, you know, doctor didn't say anything, you know, and she was very wise and, and what she saw. But um, basically, uh, when our oldest was eight weeks old, we moved down to Houston. And the very first doctor's appointment, that doctor uh, spent lots of time with her. And before I left, she said, you know, I want to do an MRI on her back and see if there's anything going on that might be causing her legs to be so straight and so tight, her toes are pointed and, you know, some things like that, that I really didn't know. I just thought, oh, well, everybody's different, right? Everybody's muscle tone is different. So what if one infant is all curled up and the other one is stretched out straight? I, <laughs> I just didn't know. Right. And, um, and so I was like, well, okay, that's fine. Do an MRI. Like she's fine. She's happy, you know? So that MRI led to um, another MRI. And about two months later, we were told, uh, she, we think she possibly has cerebral palsy and she might, she's probably going to walk, but she might need a walker. Uh, she might be eight or nine before she walks. And so when we were new parents, our world just was kind of completely reset and it went mm -hmm. from, you know, just looking at a child as somebody to go kick a soccer ball with to equipment and does this look like a special van or what, what does this look like? Can we just, you know, so mm. anyway, God was just very evident in that time and just um, impressed on us to pray by our bedside and, you know, that he was there and he provided. And, and so anyway, there was kind of that season in life. Uh, she was in therapy for twice a week, the whole time we lived in Houston for two years, just, just had the very best 
possible medical care that we could ask for. And uh, my husband was a resident at the medical center, so it, we couldn't have asked for better care and even the financial side of things. We didn't just didn't have to pay for much, which was very, very huge blessing. So anyway, now fast forward, she walked at 13 months, she overcame, you know, very determined, but also just had very good uh, medical care. And so here we are now hearing about these kids. And many of them are in a bed at five years old because there there is no prenatal care. Cerebral palsy is more common there because of that. And there's not health insurance to cover pediatric therapy and mm -hmm. so forth, for my knowledge, at least, at least for these kids in an orphanage. And um, so something about that story just really kind of struck me mm -hmm. kind of like, mm -hmm. oh, well, maybe we're supposed to do something about this, you know? And so um, now back to that living room, our friend is about to go to Ukraine. Another friend talks about someone that's adopting one of these kids through the same program. And, and I thought, what if, you know, what if we adopt one of those kids? I wonder how that works. You know, do they just like bring him to you and you just sign the piece of paper <laughs> you know, again? I, uh, uh, <laughs> it's that easy, right? <laughs> I, yeah, I can say that I was smarter than that, but Anyway, it's probably good that I'm a little naive about certain things because I say yes and then realize like, oh, that was a bigger deal than I thought. Um, and I remember, so then after that night, I kind of was testing the waters and I went up to my friend who, the one that has the four adopted girls. And I said, well, that's kind of cool that, you know, people adopt these kids. And she's like, yeah. And I said, so, okay, I have a really random question. You know, when it comes to houses and stuff, do you ever think about if you have a handicap accessible room downstairs? And because that was something that ever since our experience as having, having a newborn, I, I always thought about that. I thought there's got to be, there needs to always be a second room downstairs. And she said, no, I can't say that's ever crossed my mind. And I thought, okay, well, all right. <laughs> all right. I'll just file that away. And then on the way home that night, we were driving. I remember where we were coming around a corner in a neighborhood. And I said, well, Wayne, maybe we could adopt one of those kids. And he said, special needs and international? I don't know. That's a whole nother ballgame. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. I don't know. It was just a passing crazy thought, you know. And um, so that was it. That was uh, August. I believe it was, I looked back and it was around August 12th or 13th of 2011. And um, so then fast forward, uh, we didn't even meet for a few months. Our small group didn't meet. And then fast forward to November and we met in our living room it was November, um, the same time, like around the 12th, I need to go look back at dates or the 13th, I believe. And so we just, we kind of had our small group. And I remember that day to a T, I remember going to Target and getting food and thinking, I'm so tired. I really don't want to host tonight. I really wish that we weren't doing this tonight. <laughs> I just kind of want to not have company. And, um, and, uh, and then it was, that was the night that, Kind of changed you know our lives and so wow. we uh we were having our small group in our living room we had 15 kids upstairs with our our high school neighbor watching them and i'm it sure they were there was nothing flying over the banisters of course no, not, no, never. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyway um and uh, we just kind of had our small group. I don't remember anything special about it, except towards the end, our our leader, who was the dad that I was talking about with the girls, was like, oh, Mike, you forgot to tell us about your your trip. You went to Ukraine. So tell us about your trip. 
And I was like, oh yeah, he went to Ukraine. I, you know, kind of forgot. And uh, he kind of reemphasized the same thing with these kiddos over there with, uh, you know, in the orphanages, um, can many confined to a bed. Uh, and if they turn five and they're, they have to leave this baby orphanage by the age of five and the kids with special needs, it was not a good story for them because in Ukraine, you can't go to public school. If you have, there is no special education. There is nothing for them in the public school. And, um, in order to go to the next orphanage up, you have to be able to function in public school. And so at the, at the, and I can't speak for what's happening there now. I don't know that things have changed, but, um, back then, uh, if you, couldn't go to the next orphanage you went to an institution which was much like a nursing home and there was no there was nothing there was no school there was not no activities and um many kids didn't make it there and so I don't know a whole lot about those institutions I would hear some pretty um hard stories from the therapists that would go over there and worked with a few kids there so anyway, he kind of reemphasized that and he said, you know, there was this one kiddo who it was, we had a really heavy heart leaving because the therapists have worked with him since he was two and he's four, this is November and he'll be five in April and he has not been adopted. And, um, he said, he's just, he just lights up with people. He loves people. He can't walk, he can't talk, but he is everywhere all the time. And I remember him saying that, like, he is all over the place. All the time he never stops moving <laughs> and now i can say oh yeah 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 that there you go that's him <laughs> oh boy he's on the go he's like kind of the motor you know it's like the motor's running you know and um and so i just thought man that would just be such a cool thing to be a part of that kind of a story but you know wayne didn't it didn't seem like it was really meant for our family because it wasn't like um, you know, Wayne was like, oh yeah, we should do that. And and he is a very, you know, loving, wonderful husband, father, provider of our family. And I know to lean into his wisdom on yes. big decisions and especially something like that, it's gotta mm-hmm. be both. And so I thought, okay, so probably not for us, but this seems like a really cool kid to have in the family. So maybe I should get my sister who's a therapist. That's it. Yeah. She needs, they need to adopt him. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember calling her I think it was that same night and I just kind of put a fill up there yeah there's this kid and you know in Ukraine and needs to be adopted and you know lots of therapy and and I don't know that she even remembers the phone call like I don't know what she was doing but it just oh didn't goodness. even it was just kind of like you know that was it that's as far as that went also can I little little insert I'm going to chase a rabbit here for a second listeners the sister that Anita is talking about is my daughter's mother-in-law. <laughs> you know, years later, my daughter Emily married Nathan, who is the oldest of Stephanie and Eric. So anyway, that's kind of a fun little rabbit. I just traced chased it now. We're back to the story. So, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> thank just for fun. I appreciate that. And um it had to have been that night because it was the same night Wayne just he kind of disappeared off to the laundry room and he was talking to Mike for a while and I didn't know what they were talking about you know and um and then he was just laying in bed and I said what are you thinking about he said well I just can't stop thinking about Sasha and I was like really and he said I just I just feel like we need to follow up on this and and I was like well I mean you know I'm kind of the dreamer one that one that throws out all the crazy ideas and I don't (laughs) really you know maybe one in 50 stick to the wall you know and I'm (laughs) So I, it's one thing for me to throw something out there like that. It's another thing for you to say that. And so I am 
I'm game. Like I'm all in if whatever you think following your lead, you know? And, um, so that was, uh, yeah, it's, I'm tired tonight. So like, was that November 12th or November 13th? It was the 13th, I believe. And, um, and, uh, of 2011. And so that was kind of when I feel like Sasha was be kind of conceived in our hearts, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, we didn't tell anybody outside of, you know, the next day I got together with uh, this super wonderful, wise lady who sort of oversaw our, our small groups. And she's old enough to be my mom, but she's not my mom and just kind of knew us and knew, was there in the room when all this kind of happened. And I was like, okay, this is, sounds crazy, but this is kind of where we're at. Like, do you think we're nuts? <laughs> and she said, no, I think if anybody could do it, you guys could. And I was like, well, okay. You know, and, um, went to the dentist the next day. And I'm sitting there watching TV while I'm getting my teeth cleaned and it's HGTV. And it's, I think it was a gardening show or something. The man who was the host of the show was named Sasha. I, was, I didn't even know that guy. <laughs> so yesterday or the, that was the nickname, you know, there's like weird things. I'm like, how did I just notice that? You know, you got to do that on purpose. <laughs> I know it was kind of crazy. So a couple of weeks go by before we even find out. So then we're like, okay, we, we call this group. We're like, all right, we're willing to, you know, we think it's now supposed to be easy. No. And like, well, well, we've got to see if he's even adoptable. You know, we don't even know if he's adoptable. And then if he is, then you do a home study and then it's months and months of legwork and, um, paperwork and, and possibly months of in country. And we're like, oh, if we would have known all this, we probably would have never even considered it. But like, thankfully God allowed us to only know this is your next step. I'm not showing you the next five steps, mm-hmm. just the one step. Well, just so say you yes. said that his month that he would turn five and that would, he would age out. Oh mm-hmm. my goodness. He would age out at April. So April. you have. So you're kind of in a rush. Well, sort of, but um, the good news is, is um, the orphanage that he was in, had a wonderful director who I don't, you know, you don't ask a whole lot of questions, but he uh, would really fight for the kids. And if a child was in process and honestly, some of them that even weren't in process, he would, uh, you know, they would still be there. And, um, and you just kind of say, okay. And you don't ask a whole lot of questions because that you don't know kind of what he's doing to put himself on the line to keep those kids safe. Right. So, that's just kind of how that was. So, so what was your next step? What'd you do? Yeah. So, um, once we found out he was adoptable, we sat down with our families and we told them and had full support. So that was really cool that they were just, you know, very supportive. And, um, and then we had to do a home study. And one thing is, is back then, um, you could still do private adoptions internationally. You can, I, I don't think you can at all anymore. I think it's, now everything has to go through an agency and that sort of a thing, which is, there's a lot of really good reasons for that. However, mm-hmm. at this particular time, Ukraine didn't work well with agencies. This family that I had heard about from Northwest Arkansas, they were in adoption process doing a private adoption with Olga. I'll just say <laughs> our, our Olga. <laughs> and um, she was their translator for this team. She was also um, an adoption facilitator. So they said, we recommend the team in, in Arkansas became friends of ours, friends to this day, you know, kind of our lifeline at the time. Um, and um, they said, we just suggest you do a private adoption and go through and use Olga and um, just through email. And she'll tell you what you need to do. She'll walk you through every single last little detailed step. And so we said, okay. And um, 
So we started the process technically the first part of December with a home study. And it was about, let's see, January, February, March, uh, about three or four months of U.S. side, getting our um, dossier ready on the U.S. side, doing all of the background checks. Basically, you have to just turn in your application to the U.S. government and say, can we do this? And they send you a letter that says we are approving you to bring home. So it was suggested to us to ask to be approved for two children, because if you get there and you find out they have a twin or sibling, someone you didn't know about. And so you kind of, you, it's, it's a little bit of a crazy feeling to get this official mail that says you've been approved to adopt two children from Ukraine to make them American citizens. Like, wow, what an amazing privilege. Like what a privilege, you know, yes. first of all, the government's trusting me with more kids, you know, a kid from another country. I don't think I trust myself, but okay, you know? And um, so we got that paperwork in, I guess in May. And then Olga just, she was busy. She turned in our application on the Ukraine side and she petitioned for us to go out of turn because of the aging out. And um, again, she was just awesome. She just knew how to cross every T and dot every I, and we had no holdups at all. And I remember praying like, God, if this isn't from you, then close the door. Mm -hmm. Like close the door. Um, only there's doors that only you can open that no man can shut. And there are doors that you shut that no man can open. And if this is not from you, if this is in our power, then close the door and make me okay with it. Give me your grace. And the door just never closed. I mean, it was just wide open. It was wide open. And there was never anything that had to be redone. Wow. Nothing. And so by May, we had, I guess it was, no, it was June. The end of June, we got our travel date for three weeks later. Wow. So it was July the 17th of 2012. We were uh, saying goodbye to our five kids in the front yard with our nanny with one-way plane tickets to Ukraine. The hardest thing I think I've ever done in my life. It felt very irresponsible, <laughs> but yet at that point we have five kids standing there, but we have, we have a kid on the other side of the world. Yeah. Yeah. You to leave your other kid. And it's just like, your heart is just kind of ripped in half whenever you're having to leave half of it behind to go after and the other, you know, um, we just had awesome help though. Our family was there for us. Our church family was there, our nanny. Um, we had our own little personal secretary, the lady I talked about, Fran, who was kind of there from the beginning. She handled all of our communication on the home side and made sure nannies were orchestrated and family and all that kind of stuff for the kids. So that was just a huge blessing. So we were traveling in July, one-way plane tickets. We get over there and um, we uh, do our government work in, Ky in Kiev, and then we travel by train to uh, the town where he's from in that right in that Donbass region in eastern Ukraine and um uh we got to meet him that next day and that was really cool but every day we would walk to the orphanage twice a day and we had a an, I think we had an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon and it was two miles one way so we walked eight miles a day so we'd walk two miles to the orphanage we would see him walk two miles back. But I remember just that first meeting and he was just so precious. It's just, just precious and um, uh, smiley and sweet, you know, and, um, and on those walks, I would pass, we'd pass people on the streets, just people either selling produce or unfortunately many that were 
um, not in such a great place, you know, asking, not, not even asking for money. They don't really do that there, but some do, but, um, fortunately, you know, alcohol runs very freely there and there's a lot of hurt and a lot of pain and, um, and it's just like it is here, honestly, that's the source to numb it for a lot of people, sure. even over there. And so, you know, I would pass just women. I, and I remember even then kind of had a passing thought of what if his mom, what if we're walking past her on the way to and from the orphanage and we don't even know it, you know, like we just don't even know. And because of our friends that uh, have the, the girls and knowing and the way that they minister to those birth moms, I, I would, I, it's just unfortunate that we won't have that mm -hmm. opportunity, you know, because that would just be super cool. And it just, I feel like God just really impressed upon me. Um, you, whatever the circumstances were, you don't lose a child and not have pain and oh, not yeah. have some kind of, you know, something there. Yeah. And that just stuck with me. We spend time with him each day and um, we ended up coming home for a quick break. And then Wayne and our oldest daughter went back over to bring him home. And I stayed home on the home front. So how long were you over there the first time? We were over there for three weeks until we went to court. And then there's a 10 day wait period. And we had already decided we're going to have to go home, check on the kids, kind of regroup. We're going to have to leave him. He's in good, you know, he's in good hands here where he is. Mm -hmm. He's safe. You know, there wasn't anything we could do anyway. We couldn't even legally take him out of the orphanage walls. We just would play with him in the yard there. And so, um, so I'm like kind of getting stuff ready at home and they go back and, then it's another three weeks of in-country and things that at home, just I mean, God's hand was on things. Everything at my husband's work went pretty smoothly, as smoothly as you could ask for. And kids were healthy and <clears throat> everything just kind of ran. <laughs> and um, so they go back, get him out of the orphanage. Um, he has to have a new passport, a new birth certificate, his name changed. So we knew his name was Alexander, but he always went by Sasha. And uh, we uh, were like, well, that's a nickname. What are we, what's our name for him? And we, we came up with the name Xander. We thought that was super cute. And you could still use the short name, Sasha. His middle name is Michael, actually after our friend that knew him before we did. <laughs> and, um, and so the long story short of that season was he left the orphanage nine months to the day of the day that we found out about him. Whoa. which was August. Oh, what? That's, oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> That's so, super in a lot cool. of ways, it's so miraculous because international adoptions typically take much longer than yes. nine months. Yes. And nine months to the day is just like, you know, it's like a beautiful picture <laughs> of a birth that you had in your heart. It's exactly. like a nine month process, just like a nine month process in your body. I mean, it's beautiful. Uh -huh. That's yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I kind of filed that away and I see now, you know, God's going to give you markers that you pull from whenever you question yeah. you know, those things that along the way, when things are difficult and you think, Oh, well, I don't know. What if, what if this wasn't the right decision? You know, and you're like, no, 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 it was like, God was there. He, he led us the whole way, you know? So anyway, we brought him home in August and, um, life just kind of started for him at that point. He wasn't walking. He wasn't talking. Um, again, he was everywhere. 
<laughs> two days after we brought him home, uh, our friend came over. He had a wheelchair for him. He he had spent all this time. He's like, he's going to have light up wheels and they're going to be blue. And because that's what he did as a profession. <laughs> and so we were all set. So he comes over to bring some equipment for him and a high chair and such. And, um, and we hear him laughing in the other room. We're like, he's just having a ball, just laughing in the bathroom. We were the toilet flushing and we go in there and he's just soaked with water and his hands and his face. And, you know, I mean, this wonderful thing in a bathroom, this water toy. <laughs> like he's playing in the mountain. Yes. yes. We're like, okay, well, <laughs> here we are. So Anyway, so we brought him home when he was five and I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. I, there's so many things that I can't even hardly touch on, but, um, he started walking a year later and he does have a specialist that he works with in Kansas city. Who's just been amazing. And, um, he's had some surgeries and such. So he started walking a year later, but, um, at, uh, at his sixth birthday. So he had been home for, from August to April. I just kind of had this epiphany and I was sitting in the chair and I even journaled it. And, um, I always said today's Xander's sixth birthday and it's his first birthday party. He didn't really have birthday parties in the orphanage. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking he was two pounds, 10 ounces at birth. Oh, so tiny. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, so I forgot tiny. to mention that. Oh, and so and we were just told that they didn't have any record of his actual birth. So I was sitting there on his sixth birthday, planning his birthday party that night. And I thought, this is his first birthday in so many ways. He didn't have birthday parties really in the orphanage. And um, we're inviting friends and family. And I didn't, none of my other five were premature, but from my understanding, um, when you have a baby in the NICU, those nurses and doctors kind of become family and mm -hmm. you invite them to the first birthday party. And I just remember like, sitting there thinking, I don't see those faces. I don't know who those people are, but he was born at two pounds, 10 ounces. We don't really understand the birth situation because they said that maybe he was brought to the hospital, but that seemed a little unrealistic, basically. And like somebody, there were angels on the ground. There was somebody that said, not on my watch. Like mm -hmm. this kid is going to, somebody, somebody had to have stayed up and yeah, there to save his yeah. life. Yes. And, um, Basically, what we had been told was that uh, his mom, you know, struggled with alcoholism and um, that uh, she didn't have any contact with him at all. Um, so he was premature and no prenatal care in the NICU in a tiny village in eastern Ukraine. And I still to this day don't really know if there was a NICU. I don't I don't know what that looks like in a probably like not like what we picture in our yes. minds we think right picture sterilized perfect well-lit clean environment exactly. with lots of bassinets and tons of nurses and that's probably yes. not what it was exactly and i wish i would i mean i would just give anything to be able to go back and to go yeah. over there and spend some time not a possibility at this stage in the game of course but um and um so i kind of had that epiphany and we had his birthday party and it was just super fun and awesome and so that was April. And then in December, uh, I don't know if you all remember, but it was kind of in around that time. This is December of 2013. Things were getting a little heated over there. Russia was starting to try to invade um, the southern region of Ukraine. And so a lot of things halted. Travel mainly halted. Adoptions kind of halted. And our facilitator reached out to just people she had worked with and said, I don't have any work going on right now. I can translate documents. I can help 
I facilitate, if there's anything I can do to help facilitate anything you need in Ukraine, I'm here, I can do birth family searches. And I thought, well, that's an interesting concept. And I kind of always wanted to just based off of watching our friends. And I just, I just kind of wanted a picture and some kind of a connection. And, um, so I messaged her back and I was like, what does that look like? And she told me it was super simple. You basically pay her fee. She has a list of questions that she recommends. She recommends sending her some pictures and 80% success rate. And I thought, well, we're going to be in that 20%. Like, you know, I'm not going to get my hopes up based off of the information that we've been given. And, um, and so I basically kind of told her yes. And, and I, I mean, I felt like it was such a kind of a easy decision that I didn't even ask Wayne. I just, when he got home, I was like, oh, by the way, I, I'm going to have a little bit of a birth family search. I just didn't, I really just didn't expect to really find much, you know, and I didn't want to get my hopes up. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, oh, you know, I just, I just need, I want to do this. And now's a good time for her. And so, um, send her the information on a Wednesday, you know, that kind of a thing, send her the pictures information and just kind of leave it. I'm like, okay, God, I don't know. Nothing's going to come of this, but why not? yeah, I didn't want to get my hopes up. Yeah. You know, I didn't set my expectations too high. I get an email from her on Monday and it said, Anita, my search was successful on Monday. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. She had done, wow. she had done the gone on over the weekend wow. and so my search was successful. I have old pictures. I have new pictures and I need some time to fit together a report. So wow. long story short, she traveled to this little village, went to an address on file. Nobody was there. Um, kind of asked some questions, ended up on another street, knocking on doors and, um, finally knocked on a door and asked this woman, do you know her, his birth mom's name was Ludmila. Do you know her? And this woman, Vera said, I do know her somewhat. She used to live in that house across the street. And I actually delivered her baby in that house six and a half years ago. And oh, so our facilitator pictures and it is, I mean, it's December. It was December 13th was the day that she, of 2013. And, um, and so she was in shock. She said, I never knew that I would know what happened to that little boy. Just, it was just, it had to have been the coolest moment, you know? Oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. so she got the story. She said, um, things were just weren't real stable across the street. It was kind of a sad situation. And, um, she could tell that something was wrong in the middle of the night. And she went over there and Ludmila was alone and she had been, she had been abused and was delivering a baby. And uh, so Vera called for an ambulance. They didn't get there in time. She delivered him, cut the umbilical cord, and then the ambulance took, took him to the hospital. Wow. And uh, so he truly wasn't born in the hospital and he really was two pounds, 10 ounces, you know, <laughs> wow. and uh, survived all of that. So I'm like, Vera's one of those people. She's one of those faces that we never thought on this side of heaven, we would know who it was, who God used to save his life, you know? Mm -hmm. And she said, um, I know where Ludmila is and I can take you to her. And so she took Olga and um, I think her husband, Alex was with her and um, to a nearby pigsty. And, um, she said she, in the, in the document that she sent me, it said she was living in a pigsty hundred kilometers from there something like that. And I'm like, still not, not surely not a literal pigsty. And then I go on to read, um, she lives in the barn with a herd of pigs in exchange for a meal a day and a roof over her head. And I just thought, oh no, I didn't know this is what we were, you know, I just, I just couldn't, I, I know. And I just couldn't hardly process it all. And, um, 
it was hard for me to even share to tell anybody for a couple of weeks just because I just couldn't yeah. process it. And at that visit though, when they went and saw her and they told her about this little boy, she was just, they said she was in shock and she just didn't do anything for a while. And then she wanted to know all about him. She wrote him a letter. It's just so precious. It says, my dear Sasha, I'm so sorry. I couldn't take care of you. I'm thankful for your family. She wrote us a letter. And I mean, it was just an overwhelming experience, you know? And, um, so, um, so precious. Yes. And so that started a five year, relationship building experience um, with her via Olga and Olga's wonderful in-laws that would go visit because right after this happened the war broke out and Olga and her husband ended up moving and eight hours away to get away from some hard situations her in-laws stayed in that region and so it became this process of between us and Olga and she's our translator you know our person that we can contact directly and her in-laws just loving on, um, his birth mom. And, um, I mean, they were basically like the local missionaries. I mean, in a way it's so much kind of like the process of supporting, you know, in-country missionaries. They truly were. I mean, there was no 501c3. There was no, it was a leaky bucket and it was just beautiful and messy. And, you know, um, for us to be able to you know, send things Olga's way. And then she would translate and send funds to her in-laws. They would go grocery shopping or buy winter clothes. And they ended up, they got uh, Ludmila out of the pig barn. They had to coerce her out of the pig barn. They had to get her, you know, find her a place to live with the heater. And they got her a job working in a garden and they got her community. Mm-hmm. And, um, wow. and she, did you ever get to meet her in person? Oh no. No. No, I mean, it was never safe to go back to Ukraine. Honestly, I I can't imagine now looking back that year we adopted, it seemed like it was just kind of like, okay, why not now? It seems like a great time. I can't imagine it ever happening after that year because things have just been so unstable since then. I mean, I know people have adopted from Ukraine since then, but it's just been one instability after another, especially in Eastern Ukraine as far out where I'm talking about. So, um, Anyway, um, and kind of through meeting her, she had she'd had two boys before um, Xander that were quite a bit older than her. One of them is now in his mid thirties, and um, the other one he um, I don't know that she ever really had contact with him, so we we don't know where he is or anything. But the oldest one um, had come to visit her shortly after that, and she showed him the pictures and told him about his brother, and he just wept is what it oh. said in the letter, and his name is Maxim. And uh, just a kind man, you know, he was a young man at the time. And so now to fast forward about five years after we um, connected with Ludmila, she passed away. She fell and had a, had a head injury mm-hmm. um, and she died um, with, uh, in a hospital with people by her and Maxim was able to be there because of our friends and this community around her and around us and facilitating. And um and it was, it was hard, but, um, gosh, she didn't buy in a pig barn. She didn't die in a pig barn by herself. Right. And, um, so that kind of led to us staying in touch with Maxim here and there. I didn't, you know, not all the time, but once a year, twice a year, we, you know, connect on his birthday or Christmas and send something. But, um, lately it's been rough. It's just been really, really rough. And, uh, um, we honestly haven't, 
had any commu uh, communication with Maxim in about four weeks, mm -hmm. but um, he, uh, you know, stayed in his part of the country and I don't know how much to share, honestly, just because of just security and that kind of a thing. But um, it's just been really, really hard. It's really taken a toll on him. And we, we just kind of find out that he's surviving whenever we have a little bit of call and check in, you know. But, yeah. How does Xander feel about this situation and his relative, his brother? So, so Xander is, he's 16 now. He's still nonverbal. Okay. And he still kind of has the mind of a little kiddo. Okay. Um, but I can tell he knows when I'm telling his story and you just see his face kind of light up mm -hmm. and I'm careful how I share his story in front of him and like the details, but, mm -hmm. um, he knows he's loved. He yes. knows he's loved by people on the other side of the world. And, um, his biggest concern of the day is how he is going to confiscate more Nutri-Green bars. Today he ate <laughs> Oh, or swimming or, you know, um, <laughs> playing or <laughs> so he's, you know, he, he doesn't, thankfully, I mean, he, he doesn't, he's not concerned with a lot of the trials of life that most of us are concerned with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. A yeah. happy soul. He is. He is. He's kind hearted. I mean, drives his siblings crazy sometimes, just like any other kid, you know, in his own unique way. <laughs> but um, he's really into school buses. He loves the um, mechanics of school buses. Uh, he watches, he'll, when he gets on his little iPad, he'll watch YouTube videos of school buses for sale. So all in the background, <laughs> you know, there's a 2007 Bluebird, blah, 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 you know. <laughs> watches those videos so he's diagnosed with cerebral palsy and autism I told you he started work, walking at six he communicates um with an ipad with gesturing with a lot of just honestly he just gets himself whatever he wants you know <laughs> if he wants something on a top shelf he's gonna figure out how to get it himself um he's just very determined and yeah wow so what are some of the things that Xander's coming to your family has taught you through maybe the Lord just revealing wonderful things that you're like, wow, I would never have learned this from the Lord if Xander wasn't in my life. Mm, what are some of those? Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of neat stories of what God's taught you. I think finding joy and serving someone else. Mm. Um, mm. There is, you know, every day, either my husband or not, or I, have have a second person that we dress and put deodorant on and put shoes on and <laughs> shave their face <laughs> well <laughs> when I do that I'm only shaving one face I'll just put it that way <laughs> your husband um, shaves too <laughs> yes so finding humor and joy in the unexpected places of caring for someone and he didn't ask for his situation he didn't there's nothing that he did that um, has caused him to live with this disability. It was the brokenness of the world. And it was honestly, I think God's taught us that um, it's the brokenness of the world that causes other people 
to be broken. Sorry. <laughs> you know, Ludmila didn't ask for her hard situation. She was born in a country that life is really hard yeah. and in a family that was just like the rest of us, you know, had some broken things. And um, she was basically an orphan herself when we found her. She was being the best mom that she could be whenever yeah. she just let him go. And I think that's just been another thing that God has taught me is that um, every mom wants to be a good mom. And sometimes it looks like letting your child go to an orphanage, you know, yes. and not having any contact with them because you, you don't, you can't take care of them. But I would say Xander coming back around to Xander being in our family. Um, God's taught us not to take ourselves too seriously. <laughs> we just try to find humor in some things that are just very unique. They're very unique situations that things that we deal with that I honestly can't even necessarily really share except maybe speak in code and say that 16 year old boys are, <laughs> their hormones change just like the rest, <laughs> like an eight year old. And so our kids have seen some things that are a little bit different and we have conversations that most families probably aren't having. <laughs> And there you are finding the humor in unexpected places. Yes, we do. We do. We do. And um, he's just a joy. He really is. And I remember before we met him and I asked Olga about his personality and she said, she said, Sasha is known. He's kind. That's kind of his reputation in the orphanage at four years old is he's kind. And that's still so true about him. I mean, Yes, he likes to pull girls' hair, and he pulls it really hard, but he does it with a smile on his face because he likes the way it smells, not because he's so clean. Um, so anyway, I would say that's the big thing, is really finding joy in serving somebody else. It's mm -hmm. so good. And because you'll probably have him for his life. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, even whenever we were saying yes to this, it was like, okay, God, this kind of, I wonder if this is similar to what a family feels like that is moving off on a foreign mission field, except we're staying right here. We're kind of bringing it in. Maybe I don't, that, that might be, might be too generous to think that it's, you know, I, I know that's a huge, I can't imagine the commitment to move overseas like that, but in a way it kind of, I mean, it was like, this is the lifelong thing that we're talking about here. Yeah. We have no earthly idea what we're bringing home. Like I had all these fears of radical attachment disorder, of fetal alcohol syndrome, of all these things out there. And even when we were in Ukraine, I was like, okay, I need to read up on all of these different syndromes and all this stuff that can especially with Eastern Europe situations. And I felt like God just say, stop, stop looking stuff up. It's never a good idea to Google things like, you know, just sort of, you know, right. I'm like, why am I doing this? Um, just stop. You're going to have some hard things, but you're not going to have all of them, you know, and I'll walk you through it one step at a time. I, I had no idea that he had autism, you know, and I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what autis autistic kids were like. And that didn't even cross my mind. It just didn't even cross my mind that that would be something that was on our plate. So mm -hmm. I didn't know that he would walk, though, either. I thought we would always have some kind of equipment. And um, he uses a wheelchair for long distances. But otherwise, I mean, he walks, he runs, he gets oh, around. That's so. awesome. I mean, the people who cared for him as a baby 
probably had no way of ever envisioning this little guy is gonna he's gonna walk he's gonna run he's gonna be all over i mean what a joy to think about that like that nothing's impossible for god exactly exactly Yeah. yeah and he had a special plan for him when he was born at two pounds Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And just the amount of lives. I feel like it's pretty powerful that a kid who can't talk has such a big story that impacts so many people, wow. you know, mm-hmm. but like that's just God's hand thing. I don't need you. I don't, you know, I don't need people. I don't need people to be uh, eloquent speakers and that sort of a thing for me to get my message across. I can use a little kid that just wants to watch Barney and swim and doesn't say a word (laughs) and (laughs) spread my story across the world. And even being able to connect with Maxim through wartime, it was a very interesting and God ordained path, Mm -hmm. how we were able to, um, our facilitator, I I just, again, I don't want to go into a lot of detail for security, but it involved people that we didn't know posting on Facebook in and on Viber, I think is what it's called, mm-hmm. and yep. some pathways over there, he just said, we're finding him, you know, and we find out he's been in a bomb shelter, and, you know, and just some crazy, crazy things, and we're like, we know that God's not finished with his story either, and we do feel like, um, you know, part of this journey is, um, yes, Xander, we were called Adopt Xander, but it doesn't end there, it's kind of like this family is sort of a family that we feel called to try to pursue as much as possible and just seeing Ludmila through to the end and sharing the love of Jesus with her. And she would say, we sent her a Bible in Russian and um, we'd pray for her and we'd tell her how to pray for him. And she would, and she would say, I didn't have family and now I do. And she was talking partly about us, you know, and about um, Olga and her family and that sort of a thing. Um, And so I just know I'm praying that, um, God will also be there for Maxim and protect him and draw him to himself. Yes. Oh, wow. This story has moved me so many times. I'm so thankful (laughs) that you shared with us, with our listeners, this amazing story to remind us that God uses all these little details, like a neighbor named Vera who delivered a baby in the middle of the night. Yes. And a sweet lady named Olga who lived in Ukraine, who reached out to you and said, hey, I'm not busy. I can translate. You want me to look up people? Do you want me to find a birth mom? God uses the things that are really miracles. He uses, he sees us. And your story reminds me of that. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you both so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And feel very blessed to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're so glad that you were here listening to Afraid Not Today, listening to Anita's story. We're so thankful she said yes, sharing her story with us tonight. And we are just talking about how the joy in her countenance, the joy in her personality, and just just how she uh, exudes the joy of the Lord. It is so evident in her life. And she said that one of the things she's learned from having Xander in her home is that you can find joy in serving someone else. I think that's a good negative truth for us to walk with today. 
And I, I do like that she talked about the importance of community when the whole community around Lamila took care of her and we need to be taking care of each other in our own communities. Also, let's remember to pray for Maxim. If you hear the story and when you think about him, please keep him in your prayers. He's in a you know, country that's going through a lot of turmoil right now. So um, pray for his safety, pray for his health. And we're just very thankful that she was willing to share all that. And also, I know that Maxim may be in a hard place right now, but God, nothing is impossible for God. So let's just pray that God draws Maxim to himself. Every listener, please pray for him. So thank you all for being with us today. And we'll be back with you in two weeks. Happy summer. It is June. It is June. Hooray. Enjoy your summer. Go swimming. With, do something. <laughs> Bye.